this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today's program, I'm joined again by my colleagues from the Supply Chain Special Interest Group of the Society for the Advancement of Consulting to discuss the issues of energy security and geopolitical change and how they are influencing the thinking uh, of business strategists and decision makers as they look to design and configure the supply chains of the future. So joining me today, we have Lisa Anderson, president of LMA Consulting, joining us from the Los Angeles metro area. Welcome, Lisa. Glad to be here. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, president of Dialed In Partners, also in the Los Angeles metro area in San Pedro, I think. Is that right, Elizabeth? That, that is correct, Patrick. Thank you. Great to be here. And uh, Diane Garcia, who is the president of Lorraine Consulting in Phoenix in Arizona. Welcome, uh, Diane. We have a situation in the world where things seem to be kind of reconfiguring change is taking taking place at a, at a accelerating rate people are realigning their their alliances and their allegiances and um i'm interested in getting a perspective from the from the us in terms of uh energy so lisa what's the what's the situation currently in the us with regard to energy security what's the what's the the thinking and I, I know you have some skepticism about the speed or the completeness of the of the green transformation but from a from a positive point of view um what, what do you see happening that has you know potential to to really change things over the over the coming years well i mean we start with the positive base of this is is that um Natural gas, we've been able to really improve our um, uh, the way we've been producing uh, natural gas. And it's it's uh, farm. It's, you know, one of the best um, in terms of energy efficiency, clean um, production in the world, um, if not the best. So that's that's very um, exciting. And we have an abundant supply. Um, if we want to produce it. Uh, so that's one thing that's good. And we certainly invested. I mean, the oil companies, as for an example, have invested a significant amount of money in um, renewables and um, alternate forms of energy. Uh, the, uh, you know, uh, many companies actually have invested in um, in alternate forms of energy and renewables and have made significant progress. Uh, the timing um, compared to the regulations in California is problematic, but you know they've made a significant amount of progress uh, in uh, you know in moving towards uh, renewable energy, clean energy. Um, and so there is significant progress and there's actually um, uh, you know exciting possibilities as well on the horizon uh, with um, some discoveries I think it's on um, hydrogen and, and other other forms so but they have to figure you know there's there's some technology that is not yet available uh, that has to be uh, worked through but there's been uh, tremendous progress um, in in this uh, arena 
Okay. Um, and in the in the day to day, say, uh, Diane, when you're out and about uh, and in people's daily lives, are renewables beginning to show up as a as a fact of life? You know, in 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 electric cars, in people with um, solar panels for their own consumption. What's what's happening in that space in the U.S.? I live in Phoenix, Arizona, which is where I'm based. And so, of course, in, in the area I'm living, uh, there are solar panels and solar energy sources everywhere on warehousing space, offices, homes uh, here in the U.S. Um, in my personal travel and business travel, um, I know that I've seen you know a lot more of the Tesla and UV vehicles in rental car uh, areas in in the airport. So as I've been looking to rent a vehicle for the week, visiting clients, uh, I see UV vehicles more available than I ever have. So I do think that you know we're we're starting to see more of the renewable energy uh, sources, whether that be you know solar or electric sources. But um, I will say, as I was trying to use the Tesla and look for a <laughs> a charging station, uh, it was quite an Quite an event, especially when you don't have a ton of time, you know, from client to client. So we have the uh, the vehicles. I don't know that we have all of the charging stations and accommodations that go along with it. Okay. Did you hire a vehicle or do you own one? Uh, I I was renting. I, I don't own a EV myself. Okay. Okay. I think I think a lot of people who who own the vehicles they have charging stations uh, at their home, right? And some of them even use the solar panels that they have in their house to. Uh, take the power to charge their batteries isn't yep. that yeah um it's just it's noticeable here uh, there was a, a news report last week which said for the first time ever the sale of electric vehicles had um outpaced the sale of diesel vehicles and diesel is much more popular i think in europe than it is in 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 america but um evs have now taken over and i just notice when i'm out and about on the streets that there's more and more and more of them and most of the most of the uh, new registrations here the re you know the registration because the year is on the number plate um all the a huge proportion of the new registrations are are evs and um there's massive investment going on here in wind power, especially because they reckon that um, countries like Ireland and Scotland that are on the kind of western fringes of of Europe, where the wind never never really stops, they reckon here in Ireland we have the capability to to generate seven times our own needs in terms of um, uh, wind power. So there's there's a, there's a lot going on in 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 that space. Does Ireland have um... Have they started to invest or have you seen wave energy where the use of the wave and the turbines and since you know you're surrounded by by yeah. water yeah uh, the the, um, the the main thrust seems to be um wind and uh, both onshore and offshore so there's some plans for very large offshore wind generation um turbines in terms of the the wave um generated power my understanding is that the, the the technology is a bit more early stage and perhaps a bit more expensive. So the, the, there's there's not a lot in a practical sense happening in that sense. But I would imagine that when that becomes a practical alternative, again, um, places like Ireland and Scotland 
on the on the western fringes of Europe are are, are going to be um, very important sources of that kind of energy as well. We, I think we've been doing some in the in the U.S. the offshore wind. Yeah, uh, and it's I think it's working for the for the wind aspects, but we are we are seeing some issues with um, whales. Some issues with what? Sorry, uh, whales. They're getting. I don't know what's happening exactly. There's okay. no uh, proven link, but it basically, but they seem to be dying or okay. like getting confused by the, um, by the sound. By the sound. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I guess everything, everything has its pros and its cons, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I understand uh, Elizabeth, um, one of the major generators of, uh, emissions is the shipping trade, which I know is an industry that you're you're close to. So, what are you aware of that's happening there in terms of new new low emissions uh, ships and vessels and so on? Well, I, I I don't have the statistics on specific ships in general. I can tell you what's happening in Southern California, and I know that. Um, the shipping industry is certainly a, a global uh, contributor to emissions, um, and and shipping lines are building larger, more efficient ships, and and doing the best that they can to be uh, have alternative fuels where they can uh, reduce their emissions on a global basis. From at the ports of LA and Long Beach here in Southern California for. for Many, many years, they have been plugging into electric power when they come into port. So they're not burning any of the, the cheap fuels, the bunker fuels that they use often uh, to cross uh, the oceans with. One of the challenges that we have in Southern California, and this is certainly going to be a challenge that we're going to see globally as well, and that is to be able to generate enough power, not only to... Uh, feed our ports with electricity and all of the infrastructure that's around the ports, but also our communities in general, our cities, um, cars, electric cars, um, you know, and, and all of the other electricity that power that we need in order to, you know, have a, a healthy, robust economy. Uh, last year, and certainly climate change has had a hand in changing how we do things, uh, here in Southern California last year with the heat waves that we had, we actually had our governor of California call several of our ports multiple times, many times over the summer, and tell our ports not to allow the ships to plug into electric power when they were calling at port because it would cause a brownout mm. uh, throughout the rest of the city or the rest of the region. So that's you know, is an as another problem unto itself is how do we generate enough clean power, not only to keep our cities running, but then also to keep our economy running with the ships, the cargo handling equipment, and the trucks that we currently have. That's just with our current population of trucks, cargo handling equipment, etc. And we have here in California, in Southern California, or California in general. We have several mandates. Um, by 2030, all of our cargo handling equipments at the ports of LA and Long Beach um, will need to be zero emissions. So that's only seven years away. 
Uh, in less in about uh, 11, 12 years, in 2035, all of our trucks, all of our drainage trucks will have to be zero emission. Uh, so it sounds like, oh, it, oh, and then by 2035, our governor has also said no more gasoline-powered cars in California. So everything will have to be electric. So in the next, you know, 10 to 12 years, we have this huge uh, transition to electric power, but we don't have the capacity that to generate that power. Mm. So um, th there is, I agree with Lisa and Diane. There's a lot of of uh, uh, a lot of progress being made, but I don't at this point here in in Southern California, at least, our industry is not very optimistic that we're going to meet those deadlines. Okay. So we've yeah. got we, we've got a lot to do in the next ten to twelve years, um, and it's going to be a challenge. Definitely going to be a, a huge hurdle to make this transition. Ninety three point nine, Dublin South FM. There are mandates here as well. There's a European wide mandate, which is that we have to reduce emissions by fifty percent. I think by twenty thirty, and we have to be net zero by 2050 across the whole the whole economy so it's going to be it's going to be a massive um challenge but i guess if you don't put those kind of stakes in the ground people simply won't move will they we so i mean we've seen that for for decades we could have we could have been much further along had we started earlier but we couldn't get the urgency for whatever for whatever reason so the time, the time, I think, has 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 come, hasn't it? And and maybe, and it kind of brings us to the geopolitical question because I think the and <laughs> um, what 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 happened with the war in in Europe and the fact that Russia is a, a large supplier of um, fossil fuels has kind of highlighted the fact that many of the places that supply fossil fuels, with the exception maybe of the United States. Um, are very problematic places geopolitically, you know, whether it be Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or Nigeria or or, or Russia. So, um, I, I, I know Lisa, you have um, a view on this, particularly about the U.S. pivot away um, from from China, which is not a it's not a it's not a fossil fuel related um, issue, but it is a related issue in the sense that. Um, geopolitical tensions are, are are driving that. So, where where do you see um, from a supply chain point of view? Where do you see um, U.S. companies, manufacturers, and so so on pivoting to uh, away from China, and, and how are they going about that? Well, I would say first of all, I do think uh, China's made it somewhat related to fossil fuels because they've been buying up. The Russian oil, so Russia still sells their oil for yeah. significant prices. Um, and actually, coincidentally, I didn't even—I I didn't remember that that was today's topic at the time. But um, in April of 2020, uh, the the uh, president of China said he said it for the world to hear that they are. Um, he said they must tighten their international production chains dependence on China so they can. So forming powerful countermeasures and, and deterrent capabilities based on artif um, artificially cutting off supply to foreigners. So basically so that he could cut off supply whenever he wanted mm -hmm. uh, to people like both, you know, the U.S., Ireland 
and have, um, you know, ha- you know, be able to do what he wanted to do. So I am very concerned about China. You're correct. Um, and uh, so what, so a lot of it can be reshored to answer your question. Um, and it, you know, so it depends on really, I don't, believe in reshoring really it's really more about where your customers are located mm. so if your customers happen to be located in the US which you know many of many of our customers are because there's significant volumes here then it may make sense uh, to bring it back to the US now it depends if your product is big and bulky it's going to be more expensive to transport so you have to pay attention to you know your type of product and also where your product can be uh, produced effectively. So does it need high skills, talent, for example? So like in the medical industry, the like um, medical devices are going to, well, going, they're going to like Mexico, uh, Costa Rica, and the Dominican Republic. I was on a panel uh, last year that was talking about uh, nearshoring, reshoring, uh, in in the medical device industry, um, and so they're they're going to all of the above. Uh, for example, Costa Rica actually has quite a bit of high tech talent. They also make they also um, do a forget the right term, but you know they have I think it's the assembly is what it's called, but of uh, computer like the chips. Mexican ma- maquiladores. Yep, that's right. Um, and so there there's. There's Mexico's like the the largest, mm. um, and then Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, you know some of the other Latin American countries. However, you really do have to be cautious because China is buying up terminals at ports, and they also have a Belt and Road Initiative that where they're they're investing in certain countries so they can turn off supply, um, and so you really have to be careful about where you're going and what your potential risks might be, and perhaps just diversify, right? So that you have a potent supply in multiple places close to your customers. So it just depends. So if they have high labor costs, uh, they if they you know have a high labor component in their product or a high transportation component, they will most likely produce closer to customers. And if they have a uh, um, if they if I have a low labor component, why not just automate? If you can automate it out, you may as well, um, you know, you you probably can just put it as close to your customers as you can. So you may very well come back to the U.S. So it just depends. But they're they're um, in this case, they're coming uh, closer to customers is in essence what they're doing. Yeah. So there are different different strategies depending on what the circumstances are and where your markets are. So we see. Uh, companies supplying the North American market may be going to some Latin American countries. We see this um, other strategy of a China plus one, which is to have a kind of a, a, a hedge and have another manufacturing location um, in Asia. It might be in Vietnam or it might be in Malaysia. And India actually is becoming a, a, a country of... Yeah, of ever, I was just going to say that. Um, one of the other key things is India. I actually just did a special report and had a lot of reshoring, nearshoring experts in the um, in, in the special report. And uh, as far as Asian countries go, Vietnam and India are the, are the two you know, most popular. The issue that the U.S. has is we need scale. 
And so uh, India has some ability to scale. They do have infrastructure issues. They're certainly working on them. Hmm. But it also is, um, there's a lot of conflicts between them and China. So there's some risk there. Um, And that's why Mexico is like more popular than um, other smaller Latin American countries from a point of view of scale. And actually, that's why the U.S. has an advantage still. Yeah, yeah. I've been talking to some companies that are kind of they're kind of worried because one in particular I was talking to in the pharmaceutical industry and they have many factories around the world and there's something like 60 odd locations around the world. But they have a factory in China which um, makes certain products that they don't make anywhere else. So they're quite exposed and they're a little a little yeah. concerned and maybe just kind of caught a little flat footed with that. Um, and, and I think there's a there's a lot of that there's a lot of that going on. And I think the what we've seen with the the G7 meeting and some of the statements they're making about China is that the the lines are really being drawn um, there. So I think businesses want to be paying a lot of attention because um, there could be issues. Maybe not a full blown um, conflict, but certainly you know there could be sanctions. There could be um, just all sorts, all sorts of issues that perhaps it would be better just to hedge against them now that the time is uh, that the time is there, which might not be there in the future. So, um, well, and actually, Patrick, there's one other thing I wanted to point out since you brought up energy earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, two things: one, um, I, when you're resh- when you're nearshoring, you also have to pay attention to if where you're reshoring or nearshoring has enough power. Um, so that you can make sure that you can actually produce your product. If you can get factories and workers, it's not enough if you don't have power. So it's another thing to look for. And then the other thing I would say about that is, is that um, we were talking about the positive side of uh, renewable energy. Well, China's been producing a um, coal coal factory. Like I, I don't remember if it's once a week or once a month, but it's something uh, significant. So yeah. If we look at that, you know, we we would be thinking about um, you know moving away as well. Sure, sure. So, um, Diane and 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 Elizabeth, with, with all of these things going on, how how is it affecting your own choices as regards uh, the energy that you use, or your travel decisions, or where you would do business if you if you got a call? Um, Elizabeth, what's what's your thinking on on those questions? Well, Patrick, you're putting me on the hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you my own answers in a second. <laughs> um, you know, we do the best that we can here in, in Los Angeles, you know, making the best choices that we can with what is available to us at the time. Um, we we do not have electric cars yet, although we are looking into our next cars being electric. Our daughter just bought um, an electric Mustang. So, um, you know, we as a family, we are looking to do that. Um, I have been working remotely at home for uh, the past 15, 17 years. So I have uh, had a lot of reductions in my commute and we do a lot more Zoom meetings now than we used to. But there's still nothing like being in person. Uh, so I still do some in-person meetings. I don't travel as much uh, as I used to. Mm. Uh, and and part of that is just because business has changed. 
you know, prior to the pandemic, we we didn't really think twice about jumping on an airplane to go have an in-person meeting. Uh, now, now we do a lot of that by Zoom. Yeah, yeah. What about um, you, Diane? What, what what's your your own um, reaction? To well, that? I'm, I'm very similar to Elizabeth in the fact that I, like she said, we do our best, and I I I'm working. I've been working from home for quite some time, and my footprint in terms of driving has been a lot <clears throat> smaller, I think, than the average, but. I think just in general, as a supply chain minded, uh, you know, professional, I just use the same concepts I would use with my clients in my own personal life. So meaning when I place orders that I know are coming from states far, far away, I don't, you know, place shipments that I can do in a, in a wise way and say, okay, my reorder point is not to send a truck to my house every day or every other day. Perhaps I, you know, make a little bit bigger purchases so that I can have the the stuff on the shelf but I do that with the you know the most economical and environmentally sound decisions so I think it's just taking those same practices into your day-to-day yeah. and how do you you know knowing where your materials and your supplies and your you know your purchases are coming from yeah yeah likewise here for me I've, I've been working from home for maybe 14 years when the when the pandemic started so that's probably 17 years now like like yourself um elizabeth and um travel has dropped i would say my travels maybe 20 25 percent of what it used to be and and it's not so much by by design that's just the way it is now that people are more comfortable with um video meetings and so on so those very important meetings that require the personal touch are, are, are still there um but many of the other um, routine meetings where we were traveling to see people are not necessary anymore, you know, in the execution of standard types of um, work tasks. In terms of doing business, I did a lot of business in China in, in the in the noughties up to about 2010. I'm, I'm not sure whether I would be keen to do business there again. Um, and, and maybe there are some other places around the world. Like I've been to I've been to Egypt and I've been to Uruguay and I've been to um, the Arab Emirates and I, I think most of those places I would I would probably still still go to but some of them would raise would raise a few questions uh, nowadays with regard to cybersecurity and other 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 issues. So it's certainly a changing world and it's not one not one that we we foresaw. I certainly I certainly didn't didn't see it. So um might just go to you, Lisa, for a, for a parting word. We've just got maybe a, a one minute left. Just a, a sum up or anything that is, is, is in your mind you'd like to say about what we've been talking about. Well, I would agree that in the sense that uh, my uh, driving in the car for clients has reduced dramatically. Uh, and I fly a little bit more than I used to. But I would say from a... Uh, departing point point of view, I think that we've made tremendous progress in terms of our looking at uh, clean energy, renewable energy. We have uh, in the U.S. we have many cl- uh, companies focused on the topic, uh, so we'll you know I think we're we'll continue to innovate and be yeah, successful. But- like Elizabeth said, we have to get our regulations to coincide with that progress, uh, and then we can be successful. But we've um, and we have a lot of nearshoring, reshoring um, happening from a geopolitical standpoint, but it also does, um, it also does save energy, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I guess we've seen tremendous resilience of, of economies um, 
in in America and in Europe in the face of of all the challenges and and these challenges with, with energy are a are a spur to to innovation. So you know it's not um, it's not all doom and gloom out there. I think you know there's a lot of a lot of potential to to change the world for the for the better, albeit you know quite challenging for all of us to get there. So um, thanks again, Lisa, Diane, and Elizabeth. And thanks also to our listeners for tuning in again today. And be aware that if you enjoyed this episode, you can find the full series of over 120 episodes of Interlinks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, and other major podcast platforms. So until next time, keep well and stay safe.